10.04 on a cloudy, rainy Saturday, but that's okay. Cheering you up on the Dr. Payne Show. You have a special two-hour edition, by the way. Usually it's an hour from now, but uh, Greg and I took a, a bunch of your time over the course yeah, of the auto show and went for some marathon broadcasts. That's it, so we got to trade time. Payback right now. Between you and I, I think we should be at a walk-in clinic, you and I. I know. you so got a problem. I, I've got my throat. So Don't you I, love plane travel? It's uh, the best. Everyone's so if I get a cough attack, crap. I'm, I'm going to try to speak quietly, yeah. calmly. Yeah. That way I can uh, endure all two hours. I know. I know. What do you got going on, Bal? How are things? Good. How are you? Good. I'm uh, other than the uh, the usual <clears throat> this time of year. Yeah. Everything's peachy. Yeah, it's a Love lot it. of people are dealing with it, and yeah. especially we were both out of the country. Coming back, that that never helps. Yep. Um. So topics for today. Uh, last time uh, we were on, we spoke about concussion. Yeah. Um. I think it's an important thing that we continue talking about, and I will continue bringing it up, um, week to week. But I also wanted to. And this sort of goes along with concussion, which is why I want to bring it up. So a lot of times when it comes to the rehabilitation world, so chiropractors, physiotherapists, massage therapists can have sub-classifications of specialties. Okay. So not everyone can treat everything or is not or is not well-equipped to treat everything. So the same way we spoke about that, a few of my team members have specialized training in concussion. Um, now, that doesn't necessarily mean that someone else couldn't do something for concussion, sure. But why not get the most specialized um, approach? Um, a few of my uh, uh, team members also have uh, training in vestibular problems. Oh. And I bring that up because sometimes it can seem like concussion symptoms, but very different. So things like vertigo, right? So anybody dealing with vertigo, which is the sensation of the room spinning around you, yeah. there's a, a distinction between Dizziness and vertigo. Dizziness is typically you, let me see, I might mix this up now, but it's you spinning around the room versus vertigo is the room is spinning around you. Right. Right? And so a lot of vertigo issues are related to inner ear problems. Vestibular. Yeah, yeah correct. Um, and vestibular actually means eyes, ears, and neck movement because like, and, and you could see this in babies very prominently and in adults, it's more difficult. But if you grab a baby and you, you know, bend them to the left, their head will stay will move to the right. So they sort of try to counteract that vestibular Naturally, balance. Yeah. yeah. Or you bend them back, they bring their head forward. Um, it's the same reason why if we turn our eyes sort of go with us, it's a, it's a combination of um, things that happen in the brainstem that give us a, a, a sense of position in time. It's your GPS. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's your GPS. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but problems can happen with that. And most commonly things like BPPV, uh, vertigo, uh, neuritis, things like that can lead to these problems. Um, and the sensation of vertigo or dizziness. And that's, you know, I, I think the big distinguishing factor between, because there might be a lot of people listening that also have concussion and have those similar symptoms. The big distinguishing factor here is that Concussion would have had some type of trauma associated with it, where it might have been a major trauma like a car accident or um, uh, a, a sports accident or things like that. Yep. Or it could be repetitive, smaller traumas like continual sports involvement or anything like that. Now, concussion can also lead to vestibular problems, of course, but there are some people that just develop vestibular problems for whatever reason as they age. It is more common let me drink so I don't uh, get the mm, cough attack. Um, it is more common as you get older, but there is a proper way to treat that. And there's plenty of people out there that are um, have inner ear problems and are just on medication. Um, 
And there really is a vestibular rehabilitation program that actually works really, really well. I was a little ignorant in this field. I knew a little bit about it, um, but a few of my team members have been getting trained in this. And and we're sort of doing this purposefully to have people trained in these specific things, even like pelvic rehab and things like that, which we'll save for another day. But when you look at the outcomes when people who have vertigo and they don't use the vestibular rehabilitation versus the outcomes when they do, it's like night and day. Really? It's huge. Huge. And it's not huge just from the treatment intervention component of it. The diagnosis of it is so much better because, and this is where the disadvantage of the radio show is I can't show visual things, but when we look at the inner ear, the canals, it's they're structured in a three-dimensional way. That's what gives us our three-dimensional mm-hmm. perception. And a lot of the stuff out there is just, it's it's one certain maneuver for one certain way, but those crystals can be dislodged in many different ways. Yeah. And so someone who's trained appropriately in vestibular rehabilitation can actually find the right place where it's dislodged. And in doing so means you're able to do the right repositioning maneuvers. Um, Is that and, part of that whole, you know, neck back of the table, turn to the left, that's, that's yeah, all those correct. type of things, and, and right? Yes, yeah. and that's the traditional thing like that yeah. even I learned going through school. So when, but, and so we have that, that's called... Um, What's that test called? Eli's test. Uh, And then there's Epley's repositioning are the two things. So you have the test. If person gets symptoms with it, then you do the repositioning. The problem with it, 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 with those two things, is it treats every single vertigo as the same. That it must happen with the head turn, the head back, but that's not the case. And I was sort of ignorant towards this. And as a few of my team members were trained in this, I was able to learn because they in turn taught me that, no, actually it very much depends. Maybe the head doesn't need to be rotated. Maybe it's just back or maybe the head is down. And so when Mm. you can find the root cause with the right positioning of the head and that affects the inner canal, then you can also apply the right technique because there's plenty of people out there that have vertigo and have done what we just talked about, the standard run-of-the-mill approach to it and never get better. And the reason why they're likely not getting better is because we're sort of using this paintbrush approach to say that, well, all inner Got ear hammer, problems. everything's a nail. Yeah, yeah. Every, everything is the exact same. They all are the same, but it's not because of the three-dimensional nature of the inner ear canal. Um, so I really wanted to bring that up. There's a lot of exciting things that we're doing at our, all of our clinics um, and becoming more specialized in all these areas because these are areas that are so poorly treated. And that's... And that's a big thing for me that I want to be able to identify what are the problems that people um, are not getting treated the right sure. way. And and it's it's insane how many people out there have chronic vertigo, uh, chronic concussion symptoms, chronic knee shoulder issues, which we have the the knee clinic. Um, and so we've we are creating all these specialized programs that we offer to patients um, simply so that they can get better and have better uh, diagnosis of these problems, better prognosis, uh, which is how likely you are to recover, and get a proper plan of management. We're not there to sell somebody a certain technique, right? And we've talked about this where there's clinics that only have one modality that they offer. And so that becomes the answer for everything. It doesn't matter whether you're going in with A or Z, you're getting treated with the same protocol. Um, And that's a problem because Evidence-influenced medicine means that it has to be an individualized approach. We'll talk more about that after We'll take a short break. A two-hour Dr. Payne show. By the way, phone line's already open. You have questions about your health concerns, bring them on. 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell. Dr. Payne show on Global News Radio. It is 10.15. Yeah, it seems early. It is early. An extra hour of the Dr. Payne show this morning talking about uh, vestibular. Have you ever had a vestibular test? 
I've never had a test. I've yeah. had vestibular issues where I've gotten vertigo. And I actually, funny enough, get it. Sometimes if I'm, which way is it? If I bend and look to the left, like sometimes out of nowhere, and then I get up, I just sort of get this like, like th- yeah. this issue. And I, it, it kind of is hereditary in my family because my brothers and sister, uh, my uncle has had these issues. So mine's not very bad that I've ever had to be tested. Uh, I have gotten some work done on it. So I'm it's managed pretty well. Like it's not something that bothers me every day or anything. It's very infrequent. Um, but a good friend of mine is an ENT and I've, I've seen the, the, the the testing, like this thing looks like you're going into like a space shuttle. Like it's, I did it. I I had some pretty bad dizziness issues. Ended up being anxiety. You're just a Um, mess. eh? Dude, it's, well, this is 15 years ago. It wasn't that recent, but I went for the good case study for me. Well, here's the thing. The doctors stopped talking. My GP is like, let's get somebody else. Listen though. My GP is like, you know what I'm saying? for a vestibular test. I go, what's that? He goes, I test your inner ear. No, they put you in a dark room. They kind of spin. I'm like, oh, sounds like fun. And then I go for this thing. I'm like, I would seriously like. I would rather be in a, like a one-star El Salvadorian hotel in the kitchen, <laughs> getting a kidney removed for the black market now, without anesthetic before I go through another vestibular test. But how bad was your vertigo or dizziness? Pretty bad. It was pretty, pretty bad. bad. Yeah. But it, it ended up being uh, anxiety problems. And it, it, oh, really? Then that. Well, that we and, talking and, about CBT, how well that works, right? And, but, and yeah. I, actually, it's funny that I was gonna. You know, it's it's astonishing how many things out there are simply related to stress and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And it can cause almost any symptom that totally. you can imagine. Big time. Um, and I mean, you, you've been doing the show long enough with me that we can even have a sense that when somebody calls, whether someone is high strung with anxiety or they're not. Right. Um, and that is definitely a big factor that we take into consideration. And I'm very honest with people. And, and I'm not, I don't tell someone that they're anxious or they have anxiety because of an insult or anything. It's important for people to know that that makes your symptoms worse. Yes. Nothing is going to feel better if you're anxious about it. Um and so, yeah, so that that is very, very common. Another common thing with anxiety, and I was actually, um, I saw a patient this week who had had um, longstanding gut issues, mm-hmm. had been tested, and we've gone through this, right, where anytime you have something in the thoracic or pelvic area, there's a lot of vital organs there. If you have pain in that area, the most important thing to do is rule out the most serious causes. Of course. Yep. Um, and you work down the line, right? So as you rule out the serious things, you're left with the benign things. And and a very common benign gut issue is irritable bowel syndrome. Um, and so I had a patient who came in and, you know, they were sort of like, I've tried everything. I have no answers. The the medical system has been horrible for me, blah, 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 all these things. I sat down with them and sort of went through everything. They had had every test, every blood test you can imagine, imaging tests, colonoscopy, everything. And I said, why do you think the system's broken? And they're like, well, they haven't, they haven't done anything for me. I'm like, but they've ruled out the serious causes. Almost, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, that is that is the point of an emergency room because he he was complaining more about uh, the emergency room experiences, and it's like, but if you're not in a life threatening situation, what do you want them to do for you? They're not they're not your general practitioner. Um, so I said, so you might think it's broken because you're not getting the answers, but it's also because we as a society don't actually know how to navigate the healthcare landscape properly because there are better people for better things. And I mean, I could spend 10 minutes giving a synopsis of the way I think it should go. And it would probably improve the efficiency of the whole system by billions of dollars, because if people used, um, these things the right way, it would work much better. But anyways, so they had this issue. They, now they have this you know, this gut issue, it's a lot of pain. It causes bowel problems with going to the washroom. And, you know, as we dove in deeper to the history, um, 
sure enough, all these problems started after a divorce mm. or during a divorce. Okay. Um, and then it was a messy divorce. Uh, and so, and there was issues with the children involved, et cetera, et cetera. So tons of stress and anxiety tons of stress. And grief. And it, yeah. And I, and I, no. and you know, once you're able to sit there with someone, it was like, I sat there and I said, well, now that you're telling me all this and you're hearing yourself say it out loud, do you think that could have any effect on the way you feel? And right away they were like, yeah, absolutely. Like I've never felt the same since then. Like my body aches, all these things and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, that's what stress does to you. And stress isn't, we talk a lot about um, psychology, which it is psychology, but we should really refer to it as psychosocial because in this scenario, it's the social environment affecting the psychology of the person. And you almost can't separate the two things. And so that psychosocial impact that your life has on the way you feel is huge. It's it's massive. And and anyone that thinks that that's not true, d- number one is ignorant, and number two doesn't understand medicine. It's even we talk about placebo. What is placebo? It's the belief that something will help you. Equally see, equally so, no placebo is the idea that something won't help, likely won't help you. Um, and that's a big deal when you're seeing patients, right? Like if you're rec- – and I always see this when I'm recommending something to a patient. If they're sitting there thinking like – and they'll say, you know, that's that's not going to work. That's not going to work. It's like – Good start. Yeah, that's not a good start exactly. Like you're you're 50% of the way for it not to work. Like, yeah. And that's a big thing. There was an interesting research study done on um, scope surgeries of the knee. And what it was was there, it was a double-blinded study where they had two groups of people that were supposed to go for the scope surgery. Okay. Uh, both both groups of people were put under anesthesia and were put out. One group actually got the scope surgery. Um, what, when they do the scope surgery, what they do is like in the dimples of the knee, they'll cut in there and go Very in. small little incisions. Very small right? incisions. So one group actually got the intervention. Mm-hmm. The other group, all they did was make the incision, but they didn't go in and, and do anything to just the knee. Just left a mark. Yeah, they just yeah. left a mark so that when the person woke up, they thought, yeah, go. I must have had the surgery because... And the outcomes for the groups at three, six, and 12 months were the exact same. same. The exact same. Like, if that doesn't provide an argument for placebo, I don't know what does. Phone lines are open as well. You have concerns, questions about what we've talked about or your own, bring them on. That's why we're here. Special two-hour edition of the Dr. Payne Show, 416-870-6400. Star 640 on salad is 1021 right here on Global News Radio. It is 1024, uh, Dr. Payne Show, a special two-hour edition. Phone lines are open. You have questions, concerns about uh, your health, 416-870-6400. Everyone's star confused. On sale. Yeah, they think this is the car hour with yeah. uh, Greg, and they're like, uh, no, I'm not listening to this. You guys are talking about your inner ear. What the hell kind of show is this? <laughs> Nothing to do with manual transmissions. Yeah, exactly. But call me with car questions yeah. if you have. I'll redirect yeah, we'll try. You. I'll redirect you right to Greg. Sell it. Yeah. He might give me a job if I do good, That's right. good no, enough lease, job. Lease, for sure. Lease is your best option. Yeah, Pay cash. You yeah. Do it. <laughs> give all the opposite advice. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So, Buy um, it out after the lease, yes. As far as uh, contact is concerned, you guys, uh, you're expanding. You got other things happening. Tell me about it. Yeah, so lots of interesting things. Uh, we're in a big expansion. Also, rebrand. Um, so in the next few weeks, the name of the show will likely change. The contact information, mm-hmm. all of those things will yeah. change. Um, right now the clinics that we have all sort of operate under their own individual local names, uh, but we're rebranding, uh, everything to one name across the board, uh, which will be pinpoint Pinpoint health. health, Yeah. Um, 
And that's just for consistency, brand recognition, so that people that are listening could feel confident when they see one of those locations. I mean, I'm happy to take the call whenever, but also feel free that if you find a location that's close to you, you just type in Pinpoint Health into Google. Um, and if you find a location and you want to see someone there, by all means, uh, give them a call. Everybody. So the big thing about why I've done this is, you know, when we first started, we had a provider network. A provider network was essentially people that I trusted, but I can't necessarily oversee and control because they're their own independent. independent. Um, The big thing is I really want to have an influence on the model of care. And so uh, although I've never heard a complaint about anyone ever referred to any of my providers, uh, I do want to build a team around and and having it internal. Like the, the beauty about this is, you know, we have we might have a patient in Etobicoke. I actually saw somebody yesterday who um, was going to our Etobicoke location. Saw that we have a Brampton location, five minutes from their home. Done. Done. We, yep. All of the information is sh- shared. We don't have to um, do any faxing of things, and we're all on the same system. So it's just a better way to provide care. You're within our system. Not all of our locations will have things like physiatrists and orthopedic surgeons, but when you're in our system, we can make those referrals, uh, and you can go to another location. Yeah. Um, and it's just a, a great multidisciplinary approach that we're trying to build. Um and I think we're doing a very good job. Our patients uh, are very, very happy with, number one, the quality of care. And that's, it, it's funny, even with my friends and family, I'll get calls and they'll say, I want to see you. And, and and I've pretty much made my focus the assessment now. I don't do much treatment because that that allows me to to see people quickly for assessments. If I was also treating, you might have to wait a few months to see me. But this way, it allows for... You know, someone can call me today and likely see me in two weeks or three weeks. Mm-hmm. And that's a much better approach for management. Uh, but sometimes I'll get people who I used to treat or friends and family that, you know, may just feel more comfortable with me. And I'll say, well, you know, you go here and see this person. And they'll be like, no, 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 I want to see you. And I always say, if that person is working with my team, I've only done that because I actually believe they're better than me. Right. I won't, I will not hire anybody that I don't think is as good or... I don't, I should, I'm trying to... I'm no, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. You're not hiring substandard care. It's no, not I, I make, and that is the yeah. most important thing. I yeah. don't micromanage care. I don't micromanage the way someone wants to care for a patient, but I make sure that I hire people that have, that are good practitioners and also what we do, because in this field, it's very hard to base something on an interview. Like you can be a doctor, you come in for an interview. I don't know what your care is like, but I'll make sure that our front end administration, if we hire someone new for the first three, four weeks, tracks that person's patients and says, how was your visit? How was their personality? Like all of these things, because for us, it's not just about, we want someone who's an absolute brilliant genius, but we also want people who are compassionate and caring and have good bedside manner. It's the whole experience matters to us. We want you to feel comfortable from the moment you've seen our sign to the moment you've walked in to the moment you're leaving. Um, And I think we're doing a good job. I'm also, another thing is if you've seen me or anybody in my team and you've not had that experience, please call me and tell me. It's. I will not be offended. I want to know because that's the only way we can make things better. Because everyone's human. We can all make mistakes. It might be an individual case or it might be something that we, you know, if all of a sudden I get 20 calls about the same issue, then maybe we have an underlying problem that we don't understand. But I'm happy to know that. And in this, in this, um, industry, everything is about interaction with a person. So it's very hard to measure that uh, because it's so subjective. This isn't like how many things can we get off a factory line in one minute? That's a very objective measure. This is how do you 
you know, interact with people all the way from, you know, we want to know things about how was the administration, how easy was it to get an appointment, um, how was the actual appointment, how was the assessment, how was the treatment, how was the quality of the clinic. Like another big thing for me is cleanliness. You're going, you're in a healthcare environment, and I, I've gone to a lot of clinics. There's some dirty clinics out there, and it just, it always sort of is like, it makes no sense. The first component about, I think about health is also hygiene and cleanliness. And totally. so that's a big thing for us that, yeah. you know, if you notice that something's not clean or or you think should be cleaner, please, please call me or somebody in my team. We're happy to hear the, the constructive criticism. Constructive. We don't want people calling, yelling. I think it's always best when you deal with these things in yep. a constructive way. We want to know. We want to know in a respectful manner and we'll make it right. Hey, Jim, thanks for uh, for calling in. Good morning. How are you? Morning, guys. How you doing? Good, brother. What's uh, What's your concern? Well, you were talking earlier about the the patient that had the stomach pain, bowel pain. Yep. Um, my mother-in-law now has been through three hospitals, mm-hmm. had probably a million dollars in tests, no kidding aside, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, good tax and, dollar system. <laughs> yeah, and, and they cannot find a simple thing wrong with her. Right. Now, Which is good. We, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. But she is exactly what you were talking about with the placebo effect. Yep. And we, we, for the life of us, can't figure out um, uh, why, right? Um, you know, there's, there's very little stress now in saying that they're being forced to move out of their house. They've been in for 50 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, this is really the only stress in her life. But that, that could be a very significant one, stress, yeah. right? Like. You know, one of the the hardest things for human beings from a psychological perspective is change. And especially when you're used to something for it's it's like I I've known a number of people that you know have been in a relationship and were married for fifty years and one person dies or gets sick and not far after like the other person later, yeah. can die and get sick and that's all because it's change and especially when you're so accustomed to something for so long. Although maybe she handles the stress well and it doesn't seem apparent to you, you really don't know what's going on in her brain for sure. And even just that small incline in that stress might be enough. Stress works in a very interesting way because um, when you look at the stress curve, it's actually not that... So an, an ideal amount of stress exists. So stress is good for us at a certain point, but it's actually bad for us to have too much or equally, see, equally so too little. Right. As humans, we need to have a sense of purpose in order to do what we need to do. So sometimes with the elderly, what I actually find is it's not that it's too much stress. It's like it's not enough. It's like, you know, I have nothing else to do. My kids are taken care of now. My grandkids are taken care of. I don't have a mortgage. I don't have payments. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do anything. That loss of purpose, that decrease in stress can sometimes be as equally as dangerous as too much stress. Yeah, because what what we found now is like with every hospital she goes to, she goes to like she's buckled over pain enough that they're they're actually prescribing her pain meds while she's in the hospital. Yeah, um, but then they go through the the GI, they they do everything you know from head to toe, and they can't find anything. So, but, but I was listening to you, and, and everything you had said kind of hit home. Every time she goes in, she's I don't know why I'm here. They're not going to do anything for me. Blah 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 no. blah blah. blah. So it, it, it was exactly the same as. So even before she goes in, she believes that there's there's no cure. I'm wasting my time. Well, but- hang hang on, Jim. Let's. I think we got to take a short break, and then we'll continue the discussion. Jim, stay right there, and Lucas, you as well. We will get to you, and time for your phone calls as well on this two hour edition of the Doctor Payne Show. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on sale. Lots more coming up on Global News Radio.
134, Dr. Payne Show, right till 12 o'clock, a special uh, two-hour edition. We lost Jim, but he was basically saying his mom kind of walks in now because she hasn't had any relief, saying, oh, this ain't going to work either. Yeah, and and, and again, not realizing that the hospital environment, well, I shouldn't say not realizing because maybe she does, but I I get the frustration with people when they don't have an answer, but a lot of the times the the real purpose of an emergency room is to make sure that this person is not in a life-threatening scenario over the next you know, 72 hours, that type of thing. And so it's actually a good thing. And it's incredible how many people I meet that um, can't find anything wrong with themselves but or can't find a problem with, with the symptom that they have, but they're almost disappointed. And it's like, yeah. but that's a good thing. If you're not finding anything serious, that's incredible. Um, and a lot of the times it just simply, especially with gut issues, again, it's the, the GI system is so highly innervated by the nervous system yeah. Uh, it's probably one of the areas most innervated. And again, the nervous system has two main um, components. It has the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. The sympathetic is what we commonly refer as the fight or flight. Yep. So when in a moment of stress, what should happen? And then parasympathetic is just the other times when you're relaxing, everything's fine. And there's things. And in a sympathetic state, uh, like we, we have to think of this all in terms of... Um, in terms of history, but not history like going back 50 years. Let's go back 10,000 years. years. Yeah. yeah. Let me drink the throat. Um, so if you had, you know, a tiger about to chase you, what do you think would happen? You would go into a sympathetic state. Your bowels and bladder would automatically empty because if you need to run, it just makes sense that you're that much lighter. Yep. Like you don't want to be... Defecate and run, baby. There you go. Done. And so, <clears throat> and that's the reason why that exists versus on the parasympathetic side. Um, and this is even the reason why people that are highly stressed can gain weight because you're not digesting your food. Again, the digestive process isn't like you eat something and a second later it's digested. There's digestion that happens in the mouth. There's digestion that happens within the stomach. And then there's digestion that happens throughout the intestines. And the whole process of eating is to extract the nutrients that you Mm -hmm. require in your body to provide fuel. If you're under a state of stress, it doesn't matter where you are in that cycle. It pushes it through right away. And that's why a lot of people will complain about like, oh, I eat and I'm, it's immediately gone through me. That's not a good thing. And so then you're often overeating, overeating, right. you're eating the wrong things and that creates cortisol levels go up. And so you gain weight and so, and it's such a, a, a complex process that happens. Um, but, but Jim's uh, m- uh, mother-in-law, I think it was, <clears throat> it's, it's not really that unique of a story. Like I heard Greg say before, like, you know, when he said, like, you're not that special, this stuff happens all the time. Mm-hmm. There's so many people that have gut issues, and it's just simply related to the stress in their life. Or as I was saying, the lack of stress, because stress functions on a, on an inverse you relationship where there's an optimal amount, but too little or too much um, is bad. And you And you find high-functioning people, like if you look at... CEOs of companies, they often sit very nicely in the middle. And these people have stress. They just don't have too much. And that's the right. key thing is how do you find the, the balance point for you where you can balance? Because stress is good. It provide it, it gives us a reason. Gives you an edge. Right. <laughs> that's Four, right. 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell. Lucas, thanks for uh, for hanging on. How are you? I'm all right. How are you guys doing? Good. What's, uh, what's your so, concern, pal? Yeah, I got cervicogenic uh, dizziness. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Apparently, what um, my physiotherapist has said, no other doctor has been able to just like diagnose what exactly else is going on. Um, so I'm going by what he says. Okay. Uh, every time I look right or left really quickly, or even just look up slowly, I immediately the room starts to spin. Uh, if I lie down, 
I mean, it, it's actually a lot worse. Uh, I really don't know what to do. It's been like two years. Uh, this is like post. I had the Kauda Aquina syndrome, Ooh. and since then, not good. Every issue with my how old are you? Has been uh, forty. <clears throat> and that was uh, low back. Like you, you had a low back oh. injury, and that that led to Kauda Aquina syndrome. Yeah, that's correct. And that's did you have any? 14. Yeah. Oh, when you yeah, and so when you got the, was there any neurological deficit that was permanent? Uh, well, yeah, I'm chronic pain. Uh, I'm constantly, I'm, I'm on pain meds. I've uh, been going to pain clinics. But no saddle anesthesia or bowel yeah, bladder I'm loss? Yeah, so I, I, I've lost um, loss of sensation in certain parts of my legs all the way right. to my toes. Yeah, yeah, cardioquine uh, is uh, a right, very right serious arm, thing. Right arm as well. Okay. And that's, that's, the, cervix, that's the, the neck part. Yeah, I can't lift my arm more than like elbow lengths or elbow height. Sorry. Okay. And so, what's your question about the cervicogenic dizziness? Like, you're just at a. Do you guys do anything? Can you guys treat something like that? Yes. Yeah, and that's what. Yeah, and that's what I started with with the vestibular rehab. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, My my physiotherapist. I mean, he's been trying. He's been doing. You know, it's. I'm not getting any progress whatsoever. Yeah, and so this is this is an important thing. Like you bring up something that I, uh, you know, is is very important to me. When so, when you are treating somebody, and they are not getting better, why do you continue to treat them? Mm. Or if it, or even worse, if it's not helping at all, what is the point of continuing to treat that person? To me, that's a secondary gain for the clinic because you equal money. Now, I'm not trying to bash your physio because I don't know, but I, and I'm just using this as sort of a talking point because I see this all too often. This is what me and my team work on. If we're seeing a patient and you've seen a patient for X amount of time, like, John, you're a good example. You were getting treatment by Adrian. Yep. Is Adrian still telling you to come in? No, we've no. progressed to yep. the right test because once you get to a certain point and the intervention, the diagnosis that we've made and we're treating that diagnosis is not getting better, Move on. you need to reevaluate. Yep. And when the professionals don't reevaluate, the only disservice is to the patient like Lucas because now this is just time lost in the same intervention. And and we've talked about this a million times that as something becomes chronic, chronic is always, always, always harder to treat than acute. Simple. It's just it's just the way it is. And so that doesn't mean that you can't do anything, Lucas, but you need to definitely be reassessed and have a fresh set of eyes looking at this. And this is exactly what our vestibular rehabilitation program can do and what the professionals that we have that deal with that can do. And so I, I think it's very much worth it. And you know what's interesting about this vestibular rehab um, is that it's usually the the treatment protocol and, and you're going to laugh because you're going to think of Lucas being uh, doing this for a number of years. It's usually an initial visit right. followed by maybe three or four follow-ups. Wow. So where's the two years? Seriously. Yeah. That's crazy. It's crazy. Lucas, reach out. one 855 Dr. Lou, D-R-L-O-U. Get it happening. For you as well, plenty of time to call in. We have the remainder of this hour and then next on this two-hour edition of the Dr. Payne Show, 416-870-6400. Star 640 on your cell on Global News Radio. The two-hour edition of the Dr. Payne Show. We go right till noon, so remainder of this hour and next, 416, yeah, 870-6400. Star 640 on your cell. So the vestibular thing, very popular but very necessary. You guys are doing yeah. this. And I mean, the last caller, um, the cervicogenic component. In right. In my experience, when you have things that are related, 
very little of the time is it just related to one component, right? So when you're looking at a vestibular issue, there's usually a combination approach that works well. And, and targeting the ear, the eyes, and the neck muscles is very important. Even, even if you can almost deduce that it's you know 99% related to just mm -hmm. the inner ear. Again, because the vestibular system is a, a combination of three things, why not target all three things? Because especially when things have been going on long enough, it will likely create problems in the other areas. And a big issue, and we've talked about the neck and the inner ear, but even eye movements, it's huge the amount of, of, of things that you can diagnose based on the way eyes move in terms of the vestibular system. And that's a lot of what the diagnosis um, for this vestibular rehabilitation program focuses on is things like head movements, eye movements, um, and that'll start to give you where is the the functional deficit. And once you understand right. the functional deficit, you treat that functional deficit and the outcomes are good. But unfortunately, that that story that we just heard is, is a little too common where people are doing the same thing over and over and over again for years and years. And the, those practitioners are not saying like, hey, you, we need to investigate further or I've taken you as far as I can take you. It's time that you get another opinion. Right. Um, and people shouldn't be afraid to do that. I mean, I do that with my own patients too sometimes where if I'm not certain, I'll get a second opinion. And, I, and I've said this before, there's even times where I'm seeing a patient and if I see something in, in the exam, I'll pop out into the hallway and grab one of my colleagues and say, hey, do you want to just come in and run this test and, and just- Fresh eyes on that? Yeah, just to make yeah. sure because you can sometimes think you see something or create something. So- I know my limitations as a human being. I know I'm not right 100% of the time. And I know that I don't know everything, which is why I've built a team of people who know more than me. So that way, when, I'm, when I've reached where I can take someone, I can refer them off. Cauda equina, he mentioned that in there. What is that? So the, so the spinal cord, we all know the spinal cord, mm -hmm. ends at around... So when we look at so when we look at the spinal cord, it's yep. one bundle, and it goes from your neck all the way down up until about uh, L1, the beginning of the lumbar spine, which is your low back. At that point, the bundle actually separates into a bunch of different nerves, um, and it's called cauda equina because the term cauda equina is a Latin term um, tail, that, that means horse's tail. So it actually looks like a horse's tail. What cauda equina, so cauda equina is just the end part of the spinal cord. What cauda equina syndrome is, which is what uh, I think his name was Lucas was describing, is when there's pressure on those nerves and it creates uh, some type of neurological deficit. Much more common, he mentioned he was 14, it's more common in younger people when there's a disc herniation, um, the material within the disc can prolapse, which means it actually falls into the spinal cord and puts pressure on the nerve. And so... Anytime we see somebody that has a low back issue with radiation into their legs, um, we talk to them about keeping an eye out for this. It's very, very rare. But if it happens, it's a medical emergency because pressure really? needs to be taken off. So typically what we see is changes in sensation around the inner thigh and genital area. So if someone, if someone has a low back injury and all of a sudden they're like, that area feels numb on me all of a sudden. And there's problems with bowel and bladder, which means that either it's uncontrolled or there's retention. There might be pressure on that nerve bundle, and that needs to be taken away as soon as possible because the longer nerves are affected, the less likely you are to get back the function of the nerve. Um, and so the quicker you can intervene. So we tell people this, that if, you, if you've come in, you're being treated for some type of disc herniation, and we think your potential... Uh, somebody who might be affected by cauda equina. And again, I think, I, I can't remember the exact stat, but I think out of all, out of all, there's less than a 1% chance uh, that this could happen. 
But in the event that it does, that's not, oh, I'll, I'll just, you know, tell my physio tomorrow morning. No, that's you call 911 and you get no rushed. No kidding. Yeah, oh yeah, that's a medical emergency. Wow. That's a 911 call. And what's call. the treatment for it? Uh, surgical. They'll go in and take pressure off the, it'll be a neurosurgeon that will go in and take pressure off the, the cauda equina um, and try to restore the the neurological function. Wow, I had no idea it was that severe. Oh yeah, so very quickly. severe. Yeah, wow. oh yeah. Prolapse into, into the cauda equina is a... Uh, it's a dangerous thing. You need to you in, need to intervene right right away, and it's you know it's it's pretty much diagnosed based on a combination of symptoms that the person is describing and some clinical signs, um, and so it's an important thing. Yeah, if you if you have a low back injury, especially if you're so again, discs are more hydrated when we're young, so we're more at risk of a bigger prolapse. As you get older, once you're into your sixties and seventies, those discs are so worn out that the risk of cauda is so little. That doesn't mean it's impossible. Naturally, you think it'd be the other way around. No, age, so the right? disc herniations that are really bad tend to affect younger people. That's why we hear of high-end athletes that suffer from them so often. They're often younger. They're putting a lot of uh, uh, force through their low backs, wow. and that can create uh, a disc herniation and the important thing. And when we look at discs, you can have discitis, so inflammation of the disc. Mm -hmm. You might have a disc bulge, which is just a slight bulge, as the name would suggest. You can have a herniation when there's actually material from within the disc comes out and puts pressure on the nerve, or you can have a prolapse, which is when that material actually falls into the spinal canal. That's what could lead to uh, cauda equina. We'll take a short break and right back into it. Ivan, I see you there. Hang on the line. And for you as well, plenty of time. We're going to uh, finish off this hour and then go next hour, the special two-hour edition of the Dr. Payne Show on Global News Radio. Going to get our uh, our way to the last few minutes of this hour, the special two-hour edition of the Dr. Payne Show. We return uh, again, sticking around, not going anywhere, actually, until uh, 11 to 12. And uh, I, I can tell, I can hear that. Have another sip of bourbon there, my friend. And, it's coffee. Uh, it's coffee. Probably with bourbon would actually help. Would help the throat. Old yeah. school, right? I remember I used to I used to work construction, like uh, industrial painting as I was going through school. And there was uh, one time that I was really, really sick. And so I called my boss telling him I couldn't go into work. He's like, what are you talking about? Just warm up some whiskey and drink it. I was yeah. like, yeah. I really? I don't think that's the right yeah. advice. But it probably works. Who knows? Probably the way he grew up, that was the advice. Oh, yeah, it's like my Russian friends. Every, every cure involves vodka. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything. Well, I remember my older brothers, so we're of Italian heritage, and my my mom and dad are first generation, like they, they yep. immigrated from, from Italy, and I can remember my older brother, who's significantly older than me, he's 20 years older, um, would tell me stories of, I guess, when they first came here and like with kids with toothaches, yeah, yeah. my dad would get like a little bit of wine and put it on uh, just, you know, yeah, like, this is a six-month-old, just... <laughs> just, yeah, here... <laughs> A little bit of wine yeah. cures everything. Yeah, exactly. It's but low back funny. is low back is huge. I mean, you know, barring cauda equina or any other problem. Yeah, and cauda equina is the extreme of a of a low back injury for sure. And again, very very rare. This is there's how many people do I know that have had this out of everyone that I've seen or have come through the clinic? Probably about a dozen, but we're talking out of thousands, wow. tens of thousands yeah. of cases. So yeah, the the percentage is very unlikely, but it is something to consider. Uh, but more common is the step before cauda equina, which is the disc problems, yep. um, whether it's inflammation of the disc or um, a bulge herniation, which can lead to some very serious problems. And that is really, we see a ton of that stuff, tons of disc injuries. And as I mentioned, it tends to be more common um, as you're younger, because those discs are more well hydrated, um, these problems also tend to occur 
uh, from, from a timing perspective, more in the morning, because actually when you're laying down and you're against gravity, your discs actually hydrate a little bit more. And so once you stand up and gravity is now acting on you, yeah. those discs dehydrate a little. So people are actually slightly taller, taller when they get in up. the mornings, yeah. uh, younger people, especially because they have more disc material to hydrate. Uh, and when I say younger, I'm talking about like less than 40, right? I'm not. And so, um, it's a, it's a very common problem that can happen under 40. Um, mainly, so when we if we look at the anatomy of the low back um, and the things, so before we look at the anatomy, what are the things that we often do with the low back? We either bend or mm-hmm. sit, which is the exact same thing, yeah. and we twist in yeah. the low back yeah. for a lot of things. We hear this at work all the time, bending, twisting, right? Your low back from an anatomical perspective, if we look at the anatomy and I show you the movements that it permits for, is not created for that. Great. Perfect. (laughs) So the things that we're doing, we're not actually designed to be doing. So what the hell? I know. There's a big mix-up between evolution and our our day-to-day lives. Um, And our culture has evolved so much quicker than our bodies um, that that's why we face so many of these issues. And that's why low back problems are the most common spine related problems. Uh, well, and they're also the most common because you have the most amount of weight acting Upon at that, that point. Yeah. yeah. What are we supposed to do? You're supposed to use your knees and your hips. If you're going to bend and you should very, you should almost never twist. The one thing it's, there is from an anatomical perspective, it does allow for flexion and extension, but it does not allow for any rotation. So turning, so that's usually the worst thing. People can usually bend and take something, but it's the moment that you bend and get up and twist. Not designed for that at all. Um, And when you do that, that's what leads to a lot of the problems. Mm -hmm. And this is, and people often think that these things are a, a, a point in time. Like I did this and it happened. A lot of the times it's cumulative and the point in time that you think caused it is just really the straw that broke the camel's back. And so it's just, you've done this so wrong for so long in your life um, finally zap. Oh. Finally it gives in and, and there you are and you're, and you've got this issue. And so then the, the important thing with these injuries is once there's pressure on the nerve, um, the pressure on a nerve is not good as we talked about, uh, because it leads to deficit in that nerve. So a, a great example that I had this week as well was an individual who, um, hurt their low back pushing a car, um, which you shouldn't push a car, I guess is, is the moral of the story. That's what, that's what the motor is for. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, well, uh, <laughs> Uh, Fred Flintstone here. That's it. Kickstart it. So, so he heard his back pushing a car. He felt it instantly. Lots of pain. Yeah. The pain in the low back is better, but still, right now, and what, what I saw him for because he had been tre- getting treated somewhere else and wanted my opinion was he has a neurological deficit. He has loss of strength in L5, which controls the ability of your big toe to point up. So when we actually compare, if I grab his big toes and I say, hold them up, which is a neurological test, and I push them down, the one on the on the good side, which his good side was his left side, stays strong, I can't move it. On the other side, I can pull it down, which we would grade really? that a four out of five. Now, the pro- so strength is graded on a five scale. So that's a four out of five where the person can do the action. I apply resistance and there's gradual give way. Okay. A zero out of five would be they can't even do it and, it's, and there's no activation. So it's paralysis essentially. Uh, but the reality is that that can happen from a disc herniation. You can get a zero out of five. He's also got loss of sensation in the right. L5 dermatome. So nerves have a couple components. They have a reflex arch. Um, which is like, you know, when you hit the knee and the knee kicks, yep. that's called the reflex. But most, and that's only in certain nerves, but all nerves have, well, I shouldn't say, all spinal nerves have motor and sensory. Motor is your strength, which is graded out of five. 
and sensory, which is the ability for you to sense different sensations. Now, not all sensations are grouped together because we have a different spinal tract for, say, light touch versus pain versus temperature. And so when we check someone's sensation, we're checking all of those spinal pathways. And he's got diminished uh, sensation to pain. So he can't feel sharp things as well as he can on the other side. So although his low back pain is not that bad right now, he has a neurological deficit. And that needs to be targeted right away because nerves that don't get treated right away often don't come back the right way. We're going to continue that conversation over the uh, top. We'll break for a uh, short uh, news break and get into hour two, the uh, the normal hour, the special edition, the two-hour edition of the Dr. Payne Show in uh, just a couple minutes here on Global News Radio. 11.04, this is the normal hour, the second hour in this case of the Dr. <laughs> Payne Show right till 12 o'clock. Borrowed one from Greg, and we'll do that uh, later in April as well as we- Yes, uh, we will. Yeah. We went long at the uh, the auto show this past February, so payback. I hope you guys enjoyed it. It was good. <laughs> Um, five six hours down there i I just got an email which it's it's a great compliment because uh um it shows like the reach of this show so carol remier um listens from winnipeg every week love it from winnipeg and is looking for a good pain doctor um and if you're listening i don't know right now but i will find out and reply to your email but i just think that's amazing that some i remember we've even had a few people that have called from the states um so so pretty far reaching uh, i guess people are telling other people about it. I, I know there's a few people in Quebec as well um, that have reached out to me. So I think that's awesome. And it's a great compliment uh, that people are listening from all over the place. And they can also they can also call in, really. Uh, one yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah, could be talk. anywhere yeah. and call in, really. Yep. Yeah, one triple eight two two five talk is toll-free or uh, locally 416. Is it different now? What is no, it? it's uh, one triple eight two two five talk toll free. Oh, but if you're toll local, free, yeah, four one six eight seven zero six four. Yeah, I was used to always hearing that. I was like, what? There's a new number? Surprise, surprise. Amazing. Surprise, surprise. That, you, you know, we were talking during the break about that whole thing with the L5 you mentioned and foot drop. And it, it just, it's fascinating the way this I think map, I scare you every week. Yeah, right? every week. I'm like, God, we feel, I feel, you know, feel fragile. Yeah. Really. Yeah. You know, we feel fragile. We always consider ourselves the apex species. I'm like, man, we ain't even near the top. <laughs> you know, we're both reading a book called Sapiens. Yeah, incredible there, book. It's like, you know, humans, we can't fly. We can't change sex at will like earthworms. We yeah. can't photosynthesize our own food. We don't hibernate. How do we consider ourselves the top of the food chain? I don't know. It's a know? great book. Like, yeah. and, and we could do a whole show just on that book. But I think if uh, anyone looking for a good read, the book is called Sapiens. Um, I forget the author's name, uh, but it's it's a great read yeah, for just fantastic. understanding the history of, of humankind. Yeah. Once you learn how to tell stories, all that was over. It, it all, it all Anyways, we can't get into that. We right, right, right. On. In, in an incredible book. But he does talk about as well how common um, uh, low back pain issues yeah. are uh, because due to the fact that, you know, our ancestors as we evolved were used to being on all fours yeah. and uh, and doing things on all fours. And now we stand up erect and, and we have all of this weight on our low backs. Um, and obviously, and you know, we've gone through this before when we had Dr. Amendolia from Mount Sinai on that really low back pain issues don't discriminate across time or cultures or genders or anything like that. Like we can compare the incidence of low back injuries in Canada to some third world country and it's going to be the exact same. Uh, there's no difference. It's not like, well, this is a uh, a first world problem. A or Western a third culture world, problem. Yeah, or a third right. world problem. It's No, it's a human problem. Um, low back pain, it is in, in the Western world, I know this, that it's the second most common cause of lost time at work. Mm-hmm. 
the first most common just being the common cold that people are sick and they take time off of work but but um low back pain second most so from an economical standpoint it's it costs us a huge amount. It's also the second most common reason for a visit to a walk-in or urgent care clinic. Again, behind the common cold. So when you consider the vast economic implication of this, it's huge. Um, and the other thing to consider is how wrong it's often treated. And yeah. and I see that every day from the things that, that people come in and tell me that they are having done. Um, that person that I was just speaking about, um, and I don't want to really get into the treatment they're getting, but it's the total wrong approach. And I and I saw this person and I was like, you need to be doing these other things. And again, when we look at the research, oftentimes a lot of the intervention around chronic mechanical low back pain is rehabbing the core. You need to have a strong core. And if you don't have a strong core, it's no surprise that you have this. And the amount of people that I've met that say, yeah, I take a pill every day uh, for my low back pain. It hurts every day. It's like, do you feel better? No. No. So why are you taking a pill? You just you're just taking a pill to take a pill. If it's not if it's not helping, it's not helping. If it helps, that's a different story. But um, it's uh, it's incredible how many people will use an intervention that has no benefit, just for the sake of saying that they're doing an intervention when there is a right answer. Out and there. they're not even getting a placebo satisfaction out of that. No, either, no. Right? In fact, they're, they're probably nothing. getting worse because they don't no. believe it's going to help anymore. Right. Um, and a lot of those things, the other thing is the adaptation of the human body, although something might work incredibly well in the beginning. And this I hear oftentimes, a, a lot of times people that have chronic injuries will switch between what they're doing. And in the first three or four weeks of their new intervention, they're like, this is it. I, fa- I found it. This is it. Yep. I feel better. And then they realize three or four weeks later, they start to feel the exact same way. It's because your body just adapts. When you do something new, it's a big impact to the body. It's not used to it. So it gets a desired outcome. As you keep doing that thing, it adapts to that. And it, and I always use the analogy of weight loss. Like it, yeah. it, you could be doing absolutely nothing and you start walking 15 minutes a day, you're going to achieve some type of health. But if you think you're going to lose all of the weight or get as healthy as you want to get just on 15 minutes, you're wrong. Because you plateau. If, if, exactly. It's natural yeah. for us. We are, as humans, we're really good at adapting to, to our environments and the things we do. So your body will get used to it. And, and it's very hard to say what that exact time is. But typically with exercise rehabilitation, I've seen about a month. That once you do something for about a month, your body it starts to, to adapt and you start to lose that effect. And the reason why exercise rehabilitation is important is it should be graded exercise rehabilitation where you're working with a professional um, who is walking you through that and making things progressively harder. And if you have a chronic issue like low back, uh, like a low back pain, when when we talk about rehabilitation, that doesn't mean like, it's sort of like when you think of weight loss and you use the term diet versus lifestyle modification. This isn't a diet. When you have chronic low back pain, this isn't, oh, I want you to do this for the next two or three months and then you never have to do it again. No, no you have a chronic issue, so now your intervention is also chronic. You have to do it all of the time, every single day, multiple times on. a day. Yeah, it's your it's your medicine to manage your issue. Right. 416-870-6400, star 640. I'm you have concerns about your health, something's piqued your interest, you tell like, well, you have this hour. To call in and ask your questions, Dr. Payne Show till 12 o'clock here on Global News Radio. It is 1114, Dr. Payne, right till 12 o'clock. Yeah, 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell. Pat, thank you for calling in. Good morning. Oh, good morning, doctor. Good morning. I've been listening. First time I've ever called on. Beautiful. Love it. Great. Thank you. Great. 
I have had neuropathy yep. in my right foot mm-hmm. for about 20 years now. Okay. Maybe even longer than that. I'm not a diabetic. Okay. I don't know what's causing it. Mm. Although it could be years and years and years ago, I had ankylosing spondylitis. That can definitely cause it. Yeah. But what can help me? Well, that's a, this, that's a hard one because, number one, again, you've been dealing with this for a very long time, right? This So, again, nerves don't heal very well. That's the reason why when people sustain a spinal cord injury, we almost can't do anything about it because they just – it's not like skin cells. Like, you can get a cut and our skin heals very well. It just will repair itself. Um, and there's some cells in the body that heal well and other cells like nerve cells that don't heal well at all. And once they um, die or necrose, uh, which is a medical term for dying – they're just gone. And so when there's prolonged pressure, so ankylosing spondylitis is when there's essentially fusion of the spine okay. um, right. over time. Now, do you actually have fusion in your spine or did you just have like the genetic markers for ankylosing spondylitis? I think uh, I, I had the fusion because it lasted yeah. for about 15 years. Okay. So, so and, and that's what I mean. So neuropathy, the important thing is to consider that neuropathy is not necessarily a diagnosis. It's really a good clinical sign. So where we can say, yeah, there's objective neuropathy, but due to what is usually the next thing. And most commonly we hear about neuropathy through things like diabetes or stenosis, but it also is common. So ankylosing spondylitis, as your spine fuses, those holes where the nerves come out, areas fuse around that and it leads to a stenosis type of presentation. Um, And so unfortunately, once things have fused, um, you know, with the exception of surgical intervention, which would never be recommended for that, there's not much that can be done. Now, that doesn't mean that nothing can be done. We would need to look at imaging of your low back to see where the fusion is and potentially certain functional movements might help you to take some pressure off the spine. So, you know, as an example, when we deal with people who have spinal stenosis due to arthritic changes, um, typically flexion-based exercises are very good at opening up that canal. And so we have them do a lot of flexion-based exercises like riding a cycle, um, bringing their legs to their chest, um, and different activities that include that type of motion. So with someone like you where it's a stenosis type of presentation, not due to arthritis but due to some type of autoimmune disease like ankylosing spondylitis, what we need to do is assess what air, what movements might potentially open up those canals a little bit better. Uh, excuse me for yep. a minute, doctor, but no my problem. pain is not in my spine. No, I know, but, but that's... It is in the right side of my right foot. I understand that, but... And it's uh, yeah, so, yeah, so, but spine... So, things that affect the nerves in the low back don't hurt the low back. They hurt where those nerves go. And so the nerves in your low back go into your lower extremity, which is your legs and your feet. And typically, um, when you have problems in nerves, it starts most distally, the feet, the ankles, and it moves up progressively um, more north towards the low back. So although you don't have an issue in your low back in terms of pain, and your pain is in your ankle, it's it's a matter of, fine, your pain is there, but where is the source of the problem? And the source of the problem is likely the low back. So if the source of the problem is the low back, then the exercises and functional movements need to be tailored towards the low back. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay? That's what I wanted to know. No problem. Come give me a visit and we'll do an assessment and we'll we'll get you on the right plan of management. Pat, it is one eight five 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 Doctor Lou D R L O U again. One eight five 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 Doctor Lou to get you on the path. Just yeah, the nervous system through the body, you kind of think of a subway map, right? It kind of it's a central core yeah. and it spreads out. And, from and there, it's right? very hard for people to understand that where when you tell them this stuff, it's like, wait, hang on a sec. You're telling me all my problem is in my low back, but I'm not I feel my like low my back. Pinky. <laughs> yeah, my low back is totally fine. I'm talking about my my big toe. Right. Doesn't matter. That's that's the nerve distribution. That's the way it works. <coughs> Lane, uh, thank you for calling in. Good morning. Good morning, guys. How are Good you? Good morning. Today? Good, pal. What's uh, what's going on with you? I uh, have a problem. I I was at work and I lifted a heavy box. Yep. And I twisted, mm. and I got a really intense pain in between my shoulder blades. Okay. Now, I went to the doctor, I, I did a report and all that, and they couldn't find anything, they did x-rays, but what what's going on is, it comes back every so often, and it is, it is affecting my breathing. Yep, okay. Uh, is there anything that, like, can I come and see you, or is there, is, did I just pull a muscle, or... Well, even if you just pulled a muscle, you still should come and see me because, so are you doing anything for treatment is my next question. I put ice on it. Yeah, so it, I put, uh, I, that's the wrong approach already. I could tell you that for sure. So when it comes to um, the upper back, the good thing about the upper back is there's an inherent amount of stability structurally from the rib cage, which is good. That's why disc herniations aren't overly common. However, because we have the rib cage, you have another articulating joint within the spine. A lot of problems actually come from the ribs themselves. Huh. And so, and that what you said uh, is a characteristic thing that people will say when they have problems breathing, it could indicate a rib issue because the ribs are actually designed to expand and contract Flex. as you breathe. And so that that symptom or that you're describing of pain with breathing might be a rib issue. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the approach that you're doing... It, is like the x-rays are one component of the whole diagnostic um, <clears throat> spectrum of things. But yeah, you, you clearly have something that's wrong. It's a matter of identifying what is the correct anatomical structure that has a problem and then intervening in that anatomical structure with the appropriate um, treatment protocol. And, and it doesn't sound like you're doing that. So when I talk, you know how you, you, you're able to get that, that quick breath? Not today with this cold, but I yeah, know what generally, you mean. Yeah, generally, <laughs> yeah. Oh, you, you, you exhale when you're talking. Yep. And you take a quick breath. I can't get that quick breath. Are you a smoker to... by any chance? No, I'm not. Okay, right good. Now I'm dying with a cold, but... Uh... Yeah, all three of us are. It's brutal. Yeah. Welcome I spring. To, I have to stop talking, try to catch that breath. Yeah. And then when I catch it... I can continue talking again. And all of this started after that uh, that lifting of that box, I guess you said? I lifted it and I twisted. I do a lot of... I'm listening to you this morning and you're saying don't twist, but that's all I do at work. Yeah, and unfortunately, that's a lot of what we all do in our lives. But the point of what I'm saying is just... From an anatomical perspective, we're not really designed for that. But anyhow, and, and part of the treatment protocol also um, is how do you do the right things? Because the answer to this stuff is no, don't ever work again. It's like, no, you can continue working, but instead of twisting, there's a reason why you have feet so you can turn. Right. You just 
take a few steps and turn your body around so you don't have to twist. Um, It's just a matter of cognitively um, or consciously modifying that action, which becomes very important. And and that's part of our plan of management is also return to work in a safe way. And what are the right things that you can do once you are back at work? So, um, you but sound like a very smart doctor, so I'd like to come and see you. Absolutely. I don't think John and Jody. Jody's laughing as oh, he yeah, hears just, that. Come on, Jody. Waiting for riddling <laughs> insults. Lane, reach out for sure. He is indeed. one 855 doctor Lou D-R-L-O-U. Again, one one eight five 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 doctor Lou to reach out. It is 11.22. Go till 12 o'clock. Your phone call's up next. Bring him on. 416-870-6400. Star 640 on cell. Dr. Payne Show continues. Global News Radio. 11.25, Dr. Payne Show. This was a special two-hour edition of the show, so we're going to 12 o'clock as we know would, uh, would normally do. 416-870-6400, star 640 on, uh, on cell. Lane used a very common term that we've all heard since we were a kid. I pulled a muscle. What exactly... Yeah. What, is, what's a clinical, what does that mean from a clinical diagnosis? What did you well, muscle? so w- when we look at sprain strain, which right. is, I guess, what people mean by a pulled muscle, um, uh, a strain is when there's micro tearing within the tendon component. So I'll give a quick anatomy lesson. So muscles attached to bones, Mm -hmm. they do that through a tendon versus a ligament is when a bone is attached to another bone. So for this purpose, we'll talk about the attachment of a muscle to a bone. So if you strain something, you're straining the tendon component where there's micro tearing. And and if you look at any anatomy picture, you'll you'll know what a tendon looks like because you see- Exactly. The yeah. reason why it's white is because it has very poor blood supply, which is why they don't heal well. Blood right. helps everything to heal. That's why there's so many interventions focused around blood, like PRP injections or laser therapy, which promotes blood to an area or shockwave, acupuncture. All of these things promote blood to an area, which helps the healing process. And then um, within the muscle is the sprain component. Um and so oftentimes you get a bit of both. Like you get a sprain strain where you'll tear a little bit of the muscle and a little bit of the... But all it is is really micro-tearing. Anyone that's worked out knows what that feels like mm-hmm. because when you're working out, what you're doing is causing micro-tears that will eventually heal and, and, bigger. He- and heal with hypertrophy yeah. so that the muscle becomes bigger and stronger. Um, this when someone pulls their back, it's just not under um, a controlled environment like working out. And so, but having said that, very few times do you actually sprain strain muscles in your your back because of how many and how strong they are. Most of the times when you hurt your back, you're either hurting a joint or a disc. So it's not even the muscle or not necessarily the muscle. It's the joint that will, something will happen. What happens with the muscles, the reason why you'll feel muscular pain is because the muscle tightens in response to create stability. Ah, Yeah. That's why when you feel that electric shock in your back, it still hurts for three weeks afterwards. Correct. Really? That is fantastic stuff right there. (laughs) You're a smart fella. Virginia. Are you going to laugh at that? Yeah, of course. Hey, Virginia, how are you? Hi, I'm fine, thanks. How Good. are you? Good. What's, uh, what's, uh, what's your concern today? Well, I've been going to the same pain doctor for about 10 years okay. and getting shots in my back and my neck and um, for fibromyalgia. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if I should be switching it up. Well, I, I mean, I can't make that recommendation after hearing a 12-second a synopsis. What I can tell you is a little bit about... Um, fibromyalgia. So fibromyalgia is chronic widespread uh, pain. Um, Typically, when we look at the research around fibromyalgia, there's a physical component, which is the pain, but there's equally usually these people with fibromyalgia also have very poor sleep. Do you have poor sleep? 
Um, no, because I have good sleep hygiene. Okay, good. And then the other thing is that there's usually some type of psychosocial underlying problem. So uh, whether that be things like a bad social setting, anxiety, depression, things like that. So when it comes to fibromyalgia, I, I don't know what you've done. And this is why an assessment is important. But because there's three silos to what fibromyalgia is, most people are only treating the physical component of it with things like this, like injections and different things. But they're not focusing on the sleep and the and the mental health component around it. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm working on the mental health component as well. Good. And so so then you might very well be doing all of the right things. The the reality about these types of issues is that you're likely not going to find a cure. And that's an important thing to understand in chronic pain management is that there's really no cures. What there is is what is the best management approach. So what can you do so that you can live your life day to day without it taking over your life? Um, and if you're doing that, then that's a good thing. If you're looking for a cure, something that will make this disappear, I can almost tell you that that doesn't exist. Now, if something out there, someone claims that or whatever, I would just be very very uh, you know, cautious, cautious of yeah. that because in my experience when it comes to chronic issues like fibromyalgia what you're looking for is what is the best management approach and those three silos that we spoke about don't there's there's other underlying things in there like nutrition exercise um, that you have to be doing all of the right things so when you have a a chronic issue that has a multifaceted cause to it, you also have to have that broad multifaceted uh, treatment approach. So you need to be doing the physical things. You need to be doing exercise. You need to be doing rehabilitation. Um, You need to be eating the right foods. Uh, You need to be taking the right medications and injections. You need to be looking after your mental health. You need to be looking after your sleep. And there's so many things. And if you're just doing one or two things, which I'm not suggesting, I'm just sort of um, giving you my thoughts, then it's the wrong approach. But I would be happy to sit down with you for an assessment, uh, go through the extent of things that you are doing, um, and if there's anything there that I think is missing, I'll absolutely make that recommendation. Okay, how okay. can I reach that? I'm going to tell you right now, uh, Virginia, it's very simple. You're reasonably local, so one eight five 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 doctor lou D-R-L-O-U, one eight five 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 doctor lou and uh, make the phone call. Get it happening. We'll uh, return after a short break. Still a half hour to go. Lots of time for you to call in with your questions as well. Get some answers or at least get on the right road too. Uh, 416-870-6400. Star 640 on sale. Dr. Payne Show, Global News Radio. 11.32, Dr. Payne Show, right till uh, till 12 o'clock here, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. One of the components you always talk about when it comes to uh, getting better is moving, exercise. Yeah. Can't stress it enough, man. Can't. <clears throat> and just simple things. Like one of the things, uh, when I meet people that have chronic pain, oftentimes these people are not doing anything because they believe that they can't. So, And this is where the psychological component comes into play. A lot of times what we look for is what's called fear avoidance behavior. So you'll say to somebody, a good example is this, where um, they'll be sitting in a chair in the waiting room, which mm-hmm. is bending of the low back, right? Yep. Like, again, to reiterate that. And you ask them to come into the room, and once you start the physical exam, you say, I just want you to bend to 90 degrees at your hips. Can't do it. Oh, I can't do that. It's like, but you were literally just, and I'll say to them, I'll say, I want you to understand that it's your belief that you can't do it, which is the problem. But physically, you were literally just doing it in the waiting room. You were doing it as we were sitting here speaking. You're bending. Um, And they sort of sit there like, oh, wow. And fear avoidance behavior... Uh, is a big thing because if you're afraid of everything, you're not going to do anything, which means if you don't do anything, our bodies, when we don't move, when we don't do things, we stiffen up. 
about 30 years ago, if you had chronic or uh, uh, like you, you hurt your low back, um, you'd go bed rest. The, yeah. You're in bed rest. Yeah. Never happens anymore. You literally have to have a fracture for them to say you need to be on bed rest. Everything except fracture, you need to be doing some moving around. So I encourage anybody, if you have a chronic issue and you are doing nothing, you're not helping yourself. What you should start with is just incorporate a 15-minute walk a day. Nothing crazy. Doesn't even need to be outside. You can walk around your house, your apartment. I don't care. Treadmill if you Move got it, around for 15 minutes. You, I guarantee you, you'll feel at least 20% better. Because it's so important for your blood to circulate, to do things. It goes to areas. It helps the healing process. And that's one small component. And that's what I tell people. If I meet someone who's doing absolutely nothing, the first thing I tell them is I want you walking for 15 minutes every day. Not, you're not, this is not a marathon. This isn't anything crazy. Just move around. That's all. Start with 15 minutes. Now, again, if you think that means I'm telling you that's the answer for the next 20 years, it's not because your body will adapt to that within three or four weeks. So now instead of 15 minutes, you do 20 minutes. Or maybe you do 15 minutes at a quicker pace. You get more mileage out of each time. But if you don't break the adaptation, you will plateau. You'll be at the exact same place. And now imagine if you throw in healthy eating, exercise, proper rehabilitation, you're talking a world of a difference, but don't expect to cure when it comes to chronic issues. Expect we can give you the best management, mm-hmm. and that's an important thing. Get to a, uh, a call here. Hey, Nick, how are you? Good morning. Hey, how are you today? Good, Pally. What's going on? So here's my situation. I have a 13-year-old daughter who's, who's got serious acne problems. We've tried ProActa. We've tried oatmeal. We've tried many, many, many things, and it doesn't seem to be working. So I'm going to, like, is there... Have you seen know, a dermatologist? We're going to see one now. Yeah, that's what you got. I'm, I'm by no means an expert in this. Um, oh. I don't I don't deal with that issue, but I would say that anybody that has uh, that type of issue needs to see a dermatologist, and they're going to be the best people to um, diagnose and, and recommend treatment options. A lot of the times, okay. though, it can be related to diet as well. So... How are we... Fun- is there, like, is there like any test the doctor can do or like, you know, like maybe... Well, does you, does does your daughter have a, a poor diet? No, it's not a poor diet. It's not the healthy, healthy, but it's not like super... Just average? Fatty. Yeah, so, yeah. but maybe trying healthy, healthy for a two-month period. If it goes away, then you're able to identify that, <clears throat> you know, that's a big thing when you talk to people and they say, yeah, it's sort of healthy, then that means it's likely not healthy. So sometimes just trying a really healthy approach uh, might solve those issues. But it, I might be wrong. I'm just sort of thinking out loud. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. I, okay, thank you okay. so much. No problem. Thank you. Appreciate that, pal. Good luck, Nick. Were you an acne kid? No. No, I wasn't either. No. Yeah, my no, brother my, was, but I wasn't. F- funny enough, my sister was. Yeah. Um, and uh, she had tried everything. Everything under the sun. <coughs> Uh, Dr. Greif, who we've had on the show before, oh, yeah. um, also practices Chinese medicine. She just, I guess at a certain point, decided, I'll, I'll even try that. He assessed her from a Chinese medicine perspective and gave her some Chinese medicine. It was the only thing that ever worked. Incredible. And see, you're, you're open to that, where a lot of Western oh, yeah. doctors oh, yeah. aren't. Like, no, I, no, I no, believe no. that it's it's so dumb if uh, if we have a combination of Eastern and Western approaches... Why not? Yeah. There has to be some validity in everything uh, because otherwise it wouldn't exist. Um, and so being open to all of these things, I mean, Chinese medicine has been around for thousands of years. Now, 
you know, am I saying that if you had uh, meningitis that you should treat that with Chinese medicine? No, probably the Western medical approach is right. the best. But for these low, and, and that's what I usually find is that for, I like to compare Western medicine to um, like a, uh, the, the firefighters. If you have a fire, that is the best thing to get that fire out. But you wouldn't necessarily call the firefighters to prevent a fire at your house and just water it down every day, right? right so, right, right. <clears throat> and that's a lot of this. A lot of Western uh, medicine is very much a really good firefighter. So if you get heart attacks, strokes, cancers, yeah, we have these incredible tools. We should be using it. But for management of lifestyle and things like that, we also have great. Eastern and more conservative measures um, that are not as invasive and not as potentially risky for you. And so we should use those. So I'm a moderate in everything, and I believe we should be using most both things. And I don't like either side of the spectrum. There's some people that are only all Western, never give me any of that voodoo stuff, Eastern stuff. Then there's and, the anti-vaxxers. Yeah. And then there's the other side where yeah. there's the people that are like, no, everything should be natural. Beetroot. My kid got meningitis. I'm going to treat, the, yeah, treat yeah. that with beetroot. It's like, no, we're yeah. going to have some serious problems. You are just, we become an ignorant population right. if if we don't realize that we have so many tools at our disposal, so why not use it? Yeah. Why not use the best of each world? Yeah. It's just, I don't know, it's silly. For me, that's the way I see it, and that's the way I treat my patients. I recommend these things sometimes, especially when you've tried everything else. So my sister is a great example. Had tried everything. Was it her first approach? No, but she had tried everything else, tried that approach, and it worked. Yeah. Maybe it's placebo, but... I think it was uh, Sir William Osler, who was a great physician, physician in Canada, said that any doctor who doesn't use placebo to their effect or to their benefit is an idiot. Yeah. And they are. Why not use placebo to still your... still working. It's still working. The yeah. objective is to get people better. Whether you do that with placebo or with something else, as long as they get better. That's it. That's all you want. Yep. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. 20 minutes to go. Still lots of time for you to call in, ask your questions, get on the road to uh, some sort of recovery. Anyway, here in the Dr. Payne Show till noon on Global News Radio. 1142 and uh, 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell is the place to go. You are expanding. you got good stuff going on. The clinics, yeah. it's, uh, and, it's a and, and we're watching the news here like on TV yeah. as we're in the studio, and I'm seeing so many car crashes yeah. that it's probably worth talking about you know, motor vehicle accidents as well and the treatment. So anyone in Ontario hurt in a car accident is eligible for rehabilitation. And there's a minimum of 3500 bucks that you get for that rehabilitation. I'm going to encourage everybody, whether you think you're hurt or not, go get the treatment. Because a lot yeah. of times, these problems don't surface the yeah, day after. Sleepers. You yeah. Just understanding simple physics. When you understand the weight of a car, the motion. Like, even when people say, yeah, but it was just 60 kilometers an hour. It's like 60 kilometers an hour. You ever walked into a patio door? <laughs> yeah. At two 60 kilometers? kilometers an hour <laughs> with two or 3,000 pounds. Like, force, yeah. like, force Newtons is measured by mass times acceleration. Yeah. Do you know how much force has to go through your body when you consider the sheer size of vehicles, even a small vehicle, is hundreds of pounds? <clears throat> And the acceleration, like we only walk at what, like maybe two, three kilometers an hour. We're talking about sixty kilometers an hour. Man. Like that's crazy. And and so people, I, I, if you're hurt in a car accident, you need to visit us. You need to, like at the very least get an assessment. Yeah. Make sure that everything seems to be working fine. 
get the treatment that you, you you pay for it. A lot of people I meet say, no, 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 I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to do that because I don't want to start an insurance claim. It's like, but why do you pay for insurance? Mm. You pay for insurance when you need insurance. This is the time when you need insurance. You have neck pain, you have back pain. Yeah. And that's the most common stuff in car accidents, like the the day-to-day fender benders is you're going to hurt your spine. You're going to get the whiplash, the low back sprain strain. But those things, and I and we deal with a lot of car accidents, uh, both from a treatment perspective and also from an assessment perspective. Um, and the the consequences it has on the long-term health of the body is huge. And people don't, they don't understand it. You might feel fine in that moment, but what happens in five years when you're a little bit older than you were now? Maybe you're a little out of shape compared to what you were five years ago. All those things, all those, that force, all those shifts in the body that happen start to rear their ugly head and you start developing a lot of issues. And one of the things that we ask every single patient, have you ever had any major traumas, sports injuries or car accidents? Mm -hmm. Because although you may not think it's relevant, a lot of people say, oh yeah, I you know, 10 years ago, I had this really bad accident. What did yeah. you hurt then? Neck pain. What are you here for today? Neck pain. Uh, when did your neck pain start? A f- few months after my car accident. Well, chief. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Thank you, you don't need to be a FBI agent to figure this one out. Yeah. They're telling you the problem. Um, and so if you're hurt in, in an accident and, you know, more important, just be careful. Be a cautious driver. Try not to. But sometimes it just happens. No matter how cautious you are, it can happen. Um, but you need to get the interventions. You need to get treated. So just pinpoint health on Google. You'll find the right place that can can help you with those things. Um, and we have a really good approach because there's there's a wrong approach to that too. A lot of people, it's more the passive intervention um, where it's just, yeah, get this, get that. You need the active component after a car accident. You need to be doing the right exercises, the right stretches, and that really, really makes a big difference for long-term prognosis. That's one thing you've always been a proponent of uh, through your clinics as well is getting out there and keeping moving. That's that's a huge part of it. It's not I, all pills a, and rehab. Right? I'm a proponent of whatever the best approach is for the diagnosis. Oh. Um, there's people that I see and I say, you need surgery. Like There's no other way around it. Like If someone comes in and they have a torn bicep, doesn't matter how much rehab you do or whatever, it's not going to grow you back. Reattach it. Yeah, you got to reattach it. I, I saw a person that had had a chronic shoulder problem uh, this week and, uh, young, uh, the 24, 25 years old. Um, and in a span of six months had dislocated their shoulder six times. You could do all the rehab in the world at that point. I think at that age, it's worthwhile to get, get a, a proper surgery to reattach it, make it stable. You're going to lose a little bit of range of motion. Yeah. Upwards. Uh, yeah. Abduction and, and external rotation. Uh, so you'll lose a little bit of that, but the long-term benefit of that is huge because if in a six-month period and you're only 25, it's dislocated six times, That's what crazy. happens over a 10-year period? And the more that happens, the more lax the ligaments become and the more likely you are to affect the nerves or the blood supply. And that's dangerous because you don't want to mess around with blood supply. That could be sudden problems. And nerve problems, again, we've spoken about that several times through the show today, don't heal very well. So you need to intervene. And so... If I see a patient like that, I'm not going to tell them to do exercise. They need, they need at that point, surgery, followed by exercise, yes, of course, um, because it's very important that once you're done your surgery, you rehabilitate those structures the right way. Um, and if you don't, the outcomes are not as good, and that's clear in the evidence. And, and any good surgeon will tell you that you have to do 
uh, rehab after your surgery. Yeah. And and even better surgeons will tell you that you should be doing it Pre-heavy? before to get in good shape so that when you have it, you have better outcomes. Yeah, 100%. The whole theme of this show and every other is trying to avoid things becoming chronic because they just get tougher for you to deal with. Well, I've, you know? I've seen thousands of cases of these chronic issues and every time I see it, it's like... It reinforces why I want to do this radio show. It's so that people listening that have these acute issues, and I'm and I'm seeing the chronic issues as well. But if you listen to me, and you have an acute, and it's sort of sad. I, I meet a lot of people that say, "Oh, I've been listening for like two years to your show, and I've had this problem, and I've never come in." Stop waiting two years if you're listening to the yeah. show. Get in there sooner rather than later. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't need to come in the day after it happens. Uh, but if you have an issue and it's been more than three to five days, get it looked at. At the very least, I'm going to recommend the right approach. It might just be a matter of ice application or heat application, certain things to avoid or to do. And it's in its very low level commitment, but at least you do the right thing and it prevents uh, the chronic issue from, from, from being there. And it's, and you're dealing with it when it's an acute or subacute issue, which is very, very important. I think about Greg, you know, a few months ago when he had the knee surgery, we had him on several times, Carrasco, and he said, you know, he was, he was healthy going in. Healthy coming out, rehab the crap out of it. And you he's know, good. It doesn't even talk about and, it. Now. And he and he's still competing in his jujitsu. Never mentions it. No, because he he did the right things. Right. And it's and it's often the people who do the wrong things that are the ones saying, Yeah, I had the surgery and things are worse. Right. And it's like, well and, and you can almost paint a picture of this person overweight, smokes, eats unhealthy, never exercises, believes the surgery is the solution, does the surgery does all the same bad things. It's no satisfaction. Yeah, yeah. And, and already has the negative approach, and then all of a sudden it's like, uh, yeah, the surgery didn't work. It's like, uh, it's more than just the surgery didn't work. Yeah. There's more there. Um, and so, you know, you need to be doing the right things even before those interventions. It helps so much. And Greg's a perfect example. If you do the right thing, <clears throat> he, Greg's also a good example of the right outlook. He already believed, and we talked about that, that um uh, study with the knee scopes yeah. where one group got it and one group didn't, but they still had the scar from it. But the belief that they were going to get better mattered almost as much as the procedure. No kidding. Eh? Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. We'll take a short break into a couple more calls. You got time for one, six, eight, seven, Oh, 6,400 stars, 640 on yourself. Dr. Payne show on global news radio. Eleven fifty-two. We'll get to these calls if we got uh, yeah, got some time here. Hey, get Matt. Everyone, quick questions. Let's get through them quickly. Matt, what's up? Uh, so, chronic pain, neck pain. Yep. Uh, many years now, I've had chronic neck pain. Uh, basically, my C three and four. I uh, have issues there. Okay. Uh, okay. Wondering through physio, can it be healed completely, or hmm. is there? Have you listened to the rest of the show? Uh, you know what? I just put it on about ten minutes. Oh, okay. What do you think my answer is? Is my my question for you? It'll never be one hundred percent. You, but you can you manage go. it. But right. you can manage it for sure. Give me a call. We'll take a look at it, um, and right. we'll see if you're on the if you're doing the right things. And then if you're not, we'll get you on those right things. But you can definitely yeah. manage it well so that it's not affecting your day to day life. Well, that's the thing. It's it's really become uh, it's it's affecting my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I yeah. wake up with headaches. G- g- give me a call, and I see you're calling from Bolton. I live in Bolton, so special Perfect. connection. You guys are pies. One eight five 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 five. Doctor Lou, there, Matt Janice. Hello, and good morning. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you guys doing? Good. good. What's uh, what's going on with you? Um, I've got uh, chronic pain from shingles. Yeah. Um, and it's tough one. And uh, <laughs> that's why I wanted to ask some questions because yep. I heard there's not a lot of things that can be done. 
Um, but I wanted to ask if, if you happen to know if there's anything that can be done ab- about it. Um, it was well. What have you done so far? Like in a quick synopsis? N- not a lot. Okay, um, so then that's a good thing. So <laughs> the worst thing about shingles is when you meet someone who's done everything and there's no benefit. So there are things that can be done, um, but post-herpatic neuralgia, which is what the nerve pain after shingles is, is a very tough thing to treat because, um, again, nerves don't heal well. Also, the shingles virus, the the herpes vervidin, um, never actually disappears. It actually resides in what's called the dorsal root ganglion, which is a part of the of the nerve. So it actually lives there forever, and that's a bad thing. But there are some things for sure. Where was the shingles? Was it on, on the body or the face? It was on the the body. Good. So, and that's again. So, so you got some good, some things in your favor that you haven't done a heck of a lot, and that it's on the body. I unfortunately meet a lot of people that have had it in their uh, facial distribution, in the brain strand distribution, and that one is such a tough one to treat because. Uh, but the good thing with the body is we could actually target the spine. So, um, yeah, give me a call. We'll we'll assess it and, and we'll see what what you can do. Janice, again, one eight five 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 Doctor Lou D R L O U, and uh, and Alfred, hey pal. Yeah, I I had a stroke about two years ago, and I have ongoing nerve pain on my <laughs> on my left side. Yeah. Did you do any rehab, like stroke rehabilitation after the? Yes, yes, yeah. I did. Yeah. Yeah. So again, that's that's another one that's a tough one. You have to. Um, like again, nerves don't heal well, and with stroke, the the thing about stroke is stroke leads to usually um, some type of necrosis in the brain, and that's that stuff never comes back. So some of these effects are after typically with strokes, anything that you're left with with about three to six months after the stroke, you're almost stuck with it. But um, there might be ways to manage it, but I'm happy to to see you and, and go through that and see if there's anything that can be added. Okay. Okay. You. No problem. Thanks, Alfred. Appreciate that. One eight five 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 five. Doctor Lou D R L O U. So there you go. There it is. People want to know. People, yeah, for sure. But they just uh, want to get rid of their pain to a point where they can uh, just live their life, right? Yeah, and I mean that's that's really what I talk about a lot uh, when I see a patient is how can we get you to a point where it's not affecting your like if you're employed, it's not affecting your employment, right. um, your activities of daily living, like. Some people are in such bad pain that they can't even take care of themselves, like brush their teeth, clean themselves, make themselves a small meal. Like we don't, no one should have to live like that. I don't care how bad your pain is. We can definitely help you out of things like that. Um, and, and so it's very, very important that, um, again, that you, if you're listening and you have something early on, treat it early on. The earlier you intervene, no matter what the issue is, the better your outcomes are. That's consistent in most things in health and in medicine. Uh, the earlier intervention is always the better option. Do not wait if you have these things going on. Uh, all you're doing it is making it harder for you for your future self. That's all it really is. You have to invest now uh, for for the long-term gain, for sure. And you, you're a firm believer and you try to hit home that when you're given exercises to do, like my sister-in-law, again, is a perfect example, who's still to this day every night diligently and she's doing better. And yeah. she's fine. She's yeah. okay now. And I, I mean that in the, in the most conservative sense. She's fine. She doesn't really suffer from what she did. Right? Good. Yeah. yeah. And that doesn't mean that she doesn't have a low back issue. It just right. means that it's not bothering her every day. Right. Does that mean that it, it'll never flare up? No, of course. 
Um, but that's what we're talking about with management. How do we get it so that it's not bugging you every single day? But maybe sometimes it flares up. The good thing is if it does flare up, you know the right things to do. You know the right people to go see. You know the early intervention. It's It just works so much better when you do it that way. And it'll be generally less devastating there on in when you know how to treat it, right? Most of the time, yeah. yeah. I would say 99% of the time. You also know the things to avoid. That's the other benefit in this because part of the plan of management that we do is also education on what the injury is, what aggravates the injury, what's better for it, et cetera, et cetera. And once you know, knowledge is power. So once you know, you can prevent a lot of things just by knowing. Where can they find you? I know a lot of things happening for you. Everywhere. (laughs) Literally. You're going to be everywhere pretty soon. Yeah. Just give me a call. 1-855-1-855-55-DR. L-O-U, look it up on Google, Dr. Lou or Pinpoint Health. Um, Give me a call and it all starts there with a simple phone call. I'll speak with you um, and we'll see what we can do for you. Back here next weekend, Dr. Payne Show, regular time as we continue on on Global News Radio 640 Toronto.